Well, I want us to get into the word this morning. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of people comment and talk about last week's message. Amen. And uh, I'm glad it blessed you. But last week, what I wanted to do is I wanted to invoke you. I wanted to invoke you to a place where you begin to see that offense was not your friend. Amen. Offense was not the thing that you want to hang on to, even though it feels good and it feels comfortable. Offense is not your friend. And we talked about that last week and we talked about how do we get out of or get over being so easily offended because all offense does is is breed strife. And the Bible says that where strife is, there is every evil work. Amen. And so we want to make sure there's no evil works going on in our house. Amen. We want to make sure there's no evil works going on in your house. And so today I want to jump right back into kind of where we were last week. And I want to deal with this thing about how do we overcome? How do we conquer? How do we kill? How do we exile the spirit of offense that tries to raise up in our life? And watch this. Anytime you hear a word, the Bible says that whenever you hear a word, the enemy comes suddenly because he wants to steal away the word that you have heard. Now, how many of you know you had opportunity this week? This past week, you had opportunity to be offended. Mm -hmm. Some of you may have even been uh, more aware of it, and so there were even more opportunities to be offended. But how many you know, did, did anybody win the test at least one time this week? Anybody win? You ought to give yourself a round of applause if you just won one time. If you just won one time this week. Because here's the thing you got to get. Offense is not going to go away. It's not going to, the, the opportunity for offense is not going to go away. It's going to always be present. And here's what's funny. You can get the word about not being offended. And because the enemy is so silly, he's so stupid, he will still try to get you to be offended. Because we said last week the offense was what? The spirit of stupid. And so it's going to keep trying it, even though it's not working. It's going to keep trying it and keep trying it and keep trying it. But don't worry about it. Just keep mastering it. Because before you know it, not being offended will become automatic. In fact, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I am living the automatic, unoffendable lifestyle. Oh, I wish you believed that this morning. An automatically unoffendable lifestyle. And so last week, I, I just wanted to, to preach a word and provoke you to the place of saying, you know what? I'm not going to deal with offense anymore. And, um, and, and several of you, I saw you posting this week about the things you learned uh, about, about offense and how offense keeps you from, from living in the, in the fullness of God, how offense is not your friend, and, and all of these wonderful things, which makes me feel good as a pastor because that means you was listening. Now, it's one thing to listen and know the information. How many know it's another thing to do it? And so this week, what I want to do is I want to give you some tangible tools that you can work through when offense comes because offense will come. If you are alive, the opportunity to be offended will come. But I need you to have some strategies on how not to take offense. So I'm going to give you nine strategies this morning. And all these nine strategies won't work for every single person. And you could probably find some more. But I, these are nine strategies that I have found in my life that when I employ them at various times, then praise God, they work out for me. Amen. Now, here's the thing you need to know about strategies. Strategies are like tools, right? If you got a toolbox, how I many know sometimes you need a screwdriver? But sometimes you may need a hammer. You can't use a hammer every single time. 
I mean, if you use a hammer every single time, you're going to tear something up. So you have to know which is the right tool to use and when to use it. So this morning, I want you to get your notes, your notepad out, get your phone out, whatever you got to do to take notes. I'm going to give you nine strategies that I believe will help you do what Pastor Sean said this morning, which is to grow up in the things of God. I saw somebody write last week on Facebook, somebody from the church, they were saying, and I think it may, have, it may have been Katrina, she said that basically the word can't grow you up if you're offended. Now, we quote the scripture all the time that the word of God is designed to do what? Build us up. That's what the word of God is designed to do, to build us up. But you can't be built up if you're offended. Because offense is always tearing you down. Offense gets your mind off of the things of God. Now, being offended is not the same thing as taking a stance against injustice. I don't need you to confuse the two. Taking a stand against injustice is a godly thing. But even in doing that, you can't get offended with the folk. Because if you get offended with the people, then now you become the same pawn that they are being used by the devil. We always have to rise above that and remember that you can speak out and work against injustice without being offended. Amen. In fact, it's really the only way to overcome injustice, because if you are offended, you can't hear God. If you can't hear God, injustice can't cast out injustice. Amen. The Bible says Beelzebub can't cast out Beelzebub. In other words, a devil can't cast out another devil. And so we got to make sure that whatever we do in our life, whether we're giving someone a word, because how many know that you can give someone the right word at the wrong time and still cause offense? So we got to be listening to God and finding out exactly what God is saying and exactly what God wants us to do. So let's just jump right in where we left off on last week. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11 is really an important scripture because here's what it says. And I'm going to paraphrase it. It says we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We are not to be um, uh, left out in the cold for how the enemy wants to work. Second Corinthians 2011, it says it, it says that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices or his tricks, because if we do watch this, he will get an advantage over us. Now, how many know that an advantage always work out in favor of the person with the advantage? I mean, you know, I, I ain't fast as I used to be, but you give me a 50-yard head start and we running 60 yards, I'm going to beat everybody. I, I, I'm beating Usain Bolt in them, in them final 10 yards if you give me a 50-yard head start. You can't give the enemy a head start on you and expect to beat him at the end of the race. So the Bible says the way to do that is don't be ignorant. Now, that word ignorant, we, we, we use it different. We say somebody ignorant. Now, now, we ain't talking about ignorant. We saying ignorant. Ignorant means to be unlearned. It means to not have knowledge of. And the only way you don't have knowledge of something is that you haven't been exposed to it. That's why we say we love the word. Why? Because the word exposes the tricks of the enemy. And if you love the word of God and you expose yourself to the word of God, then when the enemy tries to do something, the word of God will start speaking to you. That's why Pastor Sean says sometimes you got to practice the ministry of what? Shut your mouth. Why? Because there are some times that God will say to you, the only way to fight this battle is to not say nothing. But now you open your mouth and now you out there on your own. So we got to make sure that we are doing what the Lord has instructed us to do. Amen. And then we said last week, John 10 and 10, a very familiar scripture. It says the thief comes only but to do what? Steal, 
kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might enjoy life and that you may have it in abundance. Watch this. To the full until it what? Overflows. He says, I have come to do just the opposite of what the devil has done. Now, here's what we don't like to talk about in the American church. In the American church, what we don't want to say is this, it's good and it's bad. It's God and the devil. In America, we like to, run, we like to do this in-between thing. Well, it ain't really God, it ain't really the devil. There's only two kingdoms. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there are only two kingdoms. And since there's only two kingdoms, it's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You are going to be operating in one of them. And so the decision for which one you want to operate in is totally up to you. But you fool yourself into thinking that you have some way to operate in this middle ground. In fact, the book of Revelation says it like this. I would that you would be hot or he said, for if you are lukewarm, I can't stomach you. I'll spit you out of my mouth. So tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Today is the day. I make a decision about which kingdom I'm going to rep. Which one you going to hang with? Which one you going to be with? On Sunday, are you with God? But Monday through Saturday, you over here in this kingdom? If so, there's no wonder you won't see any success in your life. There won't be any success with longevity. you got to pick which kingdom you want. And then last week, we talked about the fact that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know what he tries to do. We said that he uses lust to attack our integrity. He uses pride to get us to, to, to leave our dependence on God. We said that he uses discouragement to attack our faith. But more importantly, he uses offense to attack relationships. Why is this important? Because you are not called to do ministry by yourself. I need, I, need you, I need everybody in here to understand this. And, and you just have to say it, and, 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 I, and I know your head going to fight back, but you just have to listen and hang on here. Say this. Say, I am, I am a, minister a minister of the gospel. Of the gospel. If you are a believer, you are. Amen. It ain't got nothing to do with standing up here. It ain't got nothing to do with holding a microphone. If you are a believer, you have a ministry to God. The word ministry is to serve. You have a service to God. Everywhere you go, you are repping God. Everywhere you go, you are repping God. And so what the enemy does is he wants to isolate you and he wants to divide you. And the way he does that is through using offense, because if you are supposed to be connected to the person sitting beside you for some spiritual endowment in order to get one of God's visions into the earth, but you get offended with that person, you will separate that from that person. And now that vision gets deterred. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen so many times. Pastor and I was talking about this the other week. We know people who have lived together. And in the old church, we, they didn't say live together. They called it what it was, shacking. Now, we done got cute nowadays, and we give a different name, but they were shacking. And we have known people who have shacked for years. They make a decision to get married. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. People, folks say, well, I'm getting married ain't nothing. It may not be anything to you, but it is a spiritual thing to God because he instituted it. And everything God instituted, he instituted for a reason. And we've seen people live together for years, get married, and then they marry for a year, and all hell breaks loose. 
Why? Why were they able to live together for 10 years, but now they can't live together for one year now that they married? Because the enemy hates anything God backs. And when they get married, whether they know it or not, they have entered into an institution that God has created. And the devil doesn't like it, so he begins to attack them in ways that they've never been attacked before. I want you to know that's exactly what happens with you the moment you decide to live the unoffendable life. When you make the decision to live an unoffendable life, he's going to attack you in every shape, form, and fashion he has available. But you ain't got to be scared. Because greater is he than he if you believe it. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they was talking about how when they get ready to minister, they don't like nobody talking to them because uh, it messes up the anointing. Because folk be having demonic spirits on them and, and, and that stuff drains on them. Now, now I get it. I get it. You know, I don't, I don't want to have to be out there in the heat, parking cars, running here dripping wet and having to, and having to preach. I get that. I get that. But, but not having folk talk to you before you preach because it messes up your, your anointing, that's the problem. It's your anointing. Because if God's anointing is so powerful that it was that save from the uttermost to the uttermost, how can some person disrupt that anointing? Now, the truth of the matter is what happens is we keep lowering Jesus to our standard rather than raising up to his. Listen, if you operate in the anointing of God, it is stronger than man. And if that anointing is stronger than man, then man can't mess up that anointing. The problem is, is that we don't realize how powerful God really is. And when you don't realize how powerful God is, you succumb to whatever the enemy whispers to you. Listen, can't no devil, can't no imp, can't no voodoo, no hoodoo or she do. Can't nothing in the world stop the anointing of God from operating on my life. Nothing. And you got to get to the place where you're like, yo, I don't know what you're talking about, but this anointing I got on my life, bravo, Jesus. It cannot be diminished. Thank you, Jesus. It cannot be diminished. And when you get to that place, you're like, okay, I can live an undefendable life. Why? Because the anointing is greater than offense. Now, 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 now I, don't, I don't watch a lot of space movies, but if you've ever watched a space movie, you know that in a space movie, almost all the time, there is some ship that has a shield. And somebody is shooting at that ship. And when they're shooting at that ship, what is the shield doing? It is saving the ship. Living the unoffendable life saves the ship. When you make the decision to live the unoffendable life, there is a shield that covers you. Yes, they're going to keep shooting the offense, but their shot's not going to connect. Why? Because you got your shields up. So if you find yourself in offense, you got to ask yourself, who let the shields down? Somebody let the shields down because this thing you did is not supposed to upset me. The truth of the matter is people are not always upset with somebody else. Sometimes you're upset with God. Sometimes you're upset with the systems of God. Offense comes a myriad of ways. I don't want you to walk out of here and think that offense always comes from a people. There are times that offense comes because you're not uh, agreeing with God's system. Something didn't happen fast enough for you. And so because it didn't happen fast enough for you, now you get offended and now you doubt in God. But doubting God doesn't make God work faster. 
Doubting God doesn't make God work faster. You can't, you can't be like a three-year-old and throw a tantrum in the middle of the floor and God go, okay, 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 fine. Listen, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, God does not respond to need. Y'all almost didn't say that. No, no, no. Let me help you. Let me say, let me say it again. Say, God does not respond to needs. He doesn't. If God responded to needs, there would be no needs. God responds to faith. If God responded to need, there'd be no hospitals. If God responded to needs, there'd be no hungry children. But God doesn't respond to need. God responds to faith. He has a system in place in which needs get met. It is through his system of faith. So the enemy wants to get you offended. Because if he gets you offended, he can sever your relationship. If he severs your relationship, he can bring discouragement. If he brings discouragement, now he can mess with your faith. The Bible says all of the promises of God are received. Come on, somebody preach to me. By faith. faith. Not by need. All of the promises of God are received by need. That's not what it says. All the promises of God are received by faith. And so we have to do everything we can to guard our faith and to guard our relationships. Amen? You must understand that unless offense is properly identified and repentance and change is brought forth, the spirit of offense will perpetually cause chaos and destroy every relationship you get involved in. I'm tr listen to me. If you serve in a ministry department, I don't care what ministry department it is. At some point, the enemy's going to try to get you to disconnect from that department. Why? And, 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 unless you are of no use to the department. But if you are vital to the department, he's going to try to get you to get disconnected. Why? Because his job is to create chaos. That's his job. The Bible says, it says that God is not the author of what? So somebody had to write confusion. So if God ain't the author of confusion, who is the author of confusion? It ain't but two kingdoms. It's either God or the devil. If God didn't write it, who wrote it? So if you're operating in confusion, that can't be God. So you have to make sure that you get to the place that you understand that chaos is not your friend. And some people, I told you last week, some people are so used to functioning in chaos, they don't know how to do anything but it's like taking that fish we talked about last week. You take a fish that's been in water all of its life, the fish doesn't even realize it's in water. But the moment you take it out of water, it starts to, to respond differently. Some people have lived their whole life in chaos. They lived their whole life in drama. They lived their whole life in offense. And watch this. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying that what happened to you wasn't justified. Somebody touching you when you're young, somebody mistreating you, somebody giving up on you, somebody passing you around to other people, somebody leaving you, a dad, a mom not being there, not caring for you. All of that stuff causes scars. But that ain't got to be your life story. It might be what happened to you. It's not who you are. Offense wants to hold you in your past. Offense wants to hold you into what the devil says you are. But I'm telling you, when you release it, now you have this fullness of what God says you are. 
And so we got to make sure that we don't let offense come and just rule in our lives. And the only way that happens is the people have to hear a word. People have to hear the Bible. The Bible says, how can they preach unless they be sent? But how can they hear unless, unless a preacher be sent to them for they can hear? And so we read last week, Jeremiah 3.15, it says this. He says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, how many of you know that you can lay out food for your pet, but you can't make your pet eat? I think the old saying is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Listen, I, we can teach this all day. You can get all the information you want to, but if you don't pass the test, that's like not having the information. It's like staying up all night studying for the test and then you don't go take the test. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. it is time for us to pass the offense test. It's time to pass it. Why? When you pass the offense test, you're going to make this whole church better. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you pass the offense test, this whole church is going to get better. Why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 7, it says, listen to the instruction of your spiritual leaders and do as they instruct you. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. The NIV says, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, think about that. Now, now, some of you don't know me, and, and that's cool. Some of you do. Or some of you think you do and you don't. Some of you do, and that's cool. But here's, here's what I need you to know. I have no, I need you to hear me, and I'm going to look you all in. I have no desire to control you. Okay? That's important to me because I've learned over the last month or so that there are a lot of pastors who actually want to control people. They actually want people to do everything that they say. Period. I don't have time for that. No, I'm serious. I don't have, we, we didn't fall in here, but I don't have time to tell every single one of you what to do. I don't have a desire to control you in that way. I don't have, I don't have the time to, to know everything about your life to even give you proper instruction in every way like that. My job is to tell you what the word says. Watch this. Your job is to make sure I'm telling you the right thing. So I always ask people when they be like, you know, well, I was at so-and-so and they told us this and they told us that and they told us that. I'm like, but what did the Bible say? Amen. And I get it. There, there, there are times where, where, where people are young or they're in different situations or things have happened to them and, 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 and they, get, they get caught up. But listen, we teach you strong word. Nobody should be bewildering you. No, if, if I'm teaching something, you ought to be able to go to the word and go, mm, yep, mm, yep, mm, yep, uh, uh, uh. You ought to be checking what I'm teaching you. And what I'm teaching you right now is that if you want to be successful, you got to pass this offense test. And watch this. When you pass the offense test, you know what pastors and leaders in the church won't have to do? Spend all their time trying to discern all these problems and dramas going on in church. Do you know I talk to pastors and one of the number one things that drains on them is having to play mediator between folk in their church? You know why? Because they're offended. You got to work with the choir director because he's mad at the praise team. The praise team mad at the choir director. The head usher, don't nobody like them. And then the, and the head usher is talking to somebody else and then somebody else. And you got all this triangulation and it's just junk. And now we're supposed to come to church and praise God in the midst of all of that. 
we are going to sweep around our own front door. We're going to get our own selves clean. Amen? Now, look at this. I want to give you this. Nine ways to stop offense from setting up in your life. Nine ways in which you can stop offense from setting up in your life. Number one, learn to talk yourself out of being offended. Somebody said, now, Pastor, it can't be that simple. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. That's why I put it number one. You've got to learn to have what I call accountable self-talk. I had to learn accountable self-talk because I used to have thoughts that were not good. Some people operate in depression, and that causes them to be suicidal. I didn't have depression. I had aggression. And mine made me operate in homicidal faults. See, I, 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 but it's, it's the same spirit, though. The same thing that would make you want to take your life can be the same thing that make you want to take somebody else's. And so I had to learn to have accountable self-talk to say to myself, Strick, you don't really want to kill them. You don't really want to do that. That's not what you want to do. Is what they said really that important? Are you willing to throw away everything you work for just to do this thing? See, account most people don't have accountable self-talk, and so they just respond based on their emotions. But the thing is, once you respond based on your emotions, it's out there. That's the reason I say all the time, spouses need to learn to hit the pause button. Because once it's out there... <laughs> Oh, you can say you sorry, and you can try to reel it back, but baby, if you think they don't forget, you're wrong. People are like elephants. They don't forget. Listen, I can forget. I'm a human. I can forgive you for something and still remember. I tell people all the time, the Lord said he throws it in the lake of forgetfulness. That, that's, that's what the Lord does. I remember. Now, I, I try not to hold that against you, but to say I don't remember would be a lie. Yeah. And so you got to learn how to talk yourself out of being offended. Listen, when you feel offense starting to rise in your life, you got to practice hitting the pause button. Learn to ask yourself these three questions. Number one, what am I getting so bent out of shape about? Number two, does this really even matter? I'm about to get mad. Over what? Does it even matter? Why am I about to get bent out of shape about this? And then number three, what is the big deal anyway? You have to reason. Learn to reason with yourself. Ask yourself when somebody says something or somebody does something, did they really mean it that way or is that just your interpretation? So many times people get into offense over something that wouldn't mean to be offended. Well, they ain't speak to me. They didn't speak to you because they was concerned about a phone call they just got and you didn't know they got the phone call and they was rushing out because they had to go take care of something. And it wasn't a slight against you. It wasn't that they didn't like you. It wasn't that you didn't feel welcome. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was that they had something pressing. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Say, I know. This will come as a shock. But everything 
ain't about you. I know, I know, I know you think this song is about you, but not this one. Not this one. This, this song ain't about you. Everything is not about you. You got to learn to ask yourself, when they said what they said, when they did what they did, were they really trying to hurt me? Do they have a history of trying to hurt me? Because if Chris says something that hurts my feelings, that ain't been her history. And the fact of the matter is, if somebody does a hundred things and they only do one thing to hurt your feelings, you ought to be glad. But instead, what most people do is we will throw the 99 away and we'll focus on the one thing, which is just the opposite of what Jesus said. He said, if you got a hundred sheep, he said, and you got 99 that's safe. He said, and you got one that's lost, you leave the 99 and go get the one. But what we did is we forget about the fact that 99 things went right, one thing went wrong, and now we're offended. And we're throwing away relationships. Yeah. And, and, and people say things like this, oh, I got that walkaway ministry. <laughs> Are we supposed to be impressed? Any coward can walk away. <laughs> it doesn't take courage to walk away. It takes courage to have a conversation and say, hey, look, here is the reason I don't deal with you no more. Here's the reason that I have come to the conclusion that you and I are better off not being friends. It takes courage to have that conversation. That's why people ask me, I say, why don't you block them on Facebook? I ain't got to block nobody. I got to block you. I, mean, I can have any conversation you want to have. I don't have to block you. I got that quick block ministry. That just means you don't have, you don't have the ability to communicate. Because if you have communication is not you talking. You ever ask your kid to do something they didn't do it? You ain't communicate. Oh, yes, it is. I told them to do it. That's the problem. You told them to do it. You did. Communication always has an end result. That most couples don't communicate. They talk at each other. They just, they just, they just, talk, they just talk at each other. But when it comes to communication, it has an end result. Amen? Listen, you have to remind yourself that the person who is the potential offender has as much right to their opinion as you do. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. You mad because somebody got an opinion that's different than yours. Well, you get to have your opinion. Why they can't have theirs? And sometimes it's okay to just agree to disagree. But you can't, get, you can't get mad because somebody has a different opinion. Because if that's the case, they're justified to be mad at you because your opinion is different. So what we got to do is we got to learn to grow up and stop taking offense to it. Most people love to surround themselves with people who think just like them. I know all kind of people got two, three thousand people on their Facebook page and all of them think just like them. Well, you don't need all them other people. Just get one person. Because all y'all going to do is say the same thing to each other. There's not going. There's not going. There's not going to be any 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 thought leaving uh, any sharpening of thoughts there. Y'all just all saying the same thing. That's the reason I doesn't bother me. People ask me sometimes. They say, "Well, you know, why you you, you you let people in your church have a different opinion?" Let. See, that's the problem. I don't control you. Now, now because I'm the pastor, there are some things that I just get to have my way. And if you want them your way, then you start you a church. But I don't, it doesn't bother me when people have a different opinion. And the fact of the matter is, uh, varying opinions actually make you better. 
They actually make you better. Because I, ha I, had a, I had a theory in my mind about how they should park cars, but Dre said do something different, and the way he did it is actually better than the way I ever came up with. But if everything got to be your way, or they hating on you, <laughs> tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Everybody is not hating on you. Tell, tell them this. Say, let me help you. You just aren't that important. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You, you important, just not that important. So that everybody's Facebook status is about you. No, it's not. Everybody's status ain't about you. You got to stop centering yourself. You got to have some accountable talk and say to yourself, why am I acting like this? What? If somebody posts something, ask yourself, why do I think they're talking about me? Did they tag you? Did they tag you? Because if they didn't tag you, either they weren't talking about you or they was too cowardly to say it. Either one doesn't warrant your response. Either one doesn't warrant your response. So you got to make sure, you got you to gotta talk to yourself. Sometimes you got to say, you just got to say your name and say, whatever your name is, slow down. Slow down. You also have to understand that just because somebody did something to you doesn't mean the next person is doing it. Amen. Amen. Man, that, that's so important. People live their lives like that. You know, my wife and I said when we, when we got together, we said, look, don't make me pay for all them raggedy dudes. Don't make me don't make me pay for all them raggedy girls. Don't make me pay for that. Me and you starting fresh. I got enough mess up on my own. I don't need to be taking up for somebody else's mess up. So you got to make sure that when people come into your life, you're not judging them based on what other people have done to you. Now, I'm not asking you to be a fool. If somebody has a history of always doing something to you over and over again, you don't have to give them access to your life. And not giving someone access to your life is not being offended. Don't let people manipulate you and talk you into the fact that you have to be somebody's doormat. No, you don't. That's not what the Bible says at all. So you got to be careful, all right? So number one, you got to learn to talk yourself out of being offended. Number two, learn to put yourself in other folks' shoes. We don't even need no explanation on that. The problem with America and the American church is we lack empathy. Amen. We lack the ability to empathize with other people. We only see things our way. And because we only see things our way, if it doesn't happen in that lens, and everybody else got to be wrong. What if you wrong? Right. <laughs> Y'all like, I shudder to think. <laughs> That's the problem. You shudder to think that you could be wrong. But the fact of the matter is, put yourself in other people's shoes. You know, people always say, well, if that was me, I'd do that. You really don't know what you would do until you're in that situation. You know, people say all the time, well, if I was married, I'd do. But no, you're, you're not even, nobody even asked you to be married yet. So you don't know what you would do. You just don't know. Well, if I had kids, I would let my kids. You ain't got kids. You don't know what you do with four kids running around all under six. You let them do whatever. You don't know. So until you get in that situation, sometimes you need to reserve judgment and walk in another person's shoes. If you slide your feet into their shoes for just a moment, you could actually learn another perspective. That's the reason I don't ever look at somebody else's job and go, oh, I could do that. You don't know all the intricacies of that job. You don't know everything that's entailed. You, it, the easiest job to do 
is the one that somebody makes look easy. That's why everybody got his commentary about LeBron. You can't play 21. You can't make three free throws. You got cut from your team, but you're going to talk about LeBron. Come on, man. The easiest thing to do is to sit back and talk about. I tell people all the time, people be talking about football. I be like, now where did you play D1? Now who did you play for? Now if Rich got something to say, I'm going to listen. He played in the pros. So I'm like, all right, now what you got to say? But if I start talking about what's, listen, the only thing I know is holding. That's all I know. The rest of the flag's on. That's the only single I know. If it's holding, I can get that one. So if I'm sitting around talking bad about, and people do things like this. They see professional athletes and be like, oh, they trash. They're professionals. <laughs> Somebody pays them hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. I wish I was trash. <laughs> the truth is you offended. They ain't paying you. <laughs> and so you just got to make, you got to spend time walking in somebody else's shoes. Okay. Number three. This is what you do so you don't become offended. You don't have to do all of these, but some of these will work for you. Number three, assume a benevolent motive. Assume a benevolent motive. Listen, I know they talk about well, what you get when you assume. I know, I know, I know. But assume a benevolent motive. You can make the decision that what they did wasn't on purpose to hurt you. My wife and I have this thing that we say to each other all the time. When we get into like this, this thing where we feel like one of us is coming at the other one or whatever, we have a discussion. We say, hey, I am not your enemy. What does that mean? That means that what I'm saying, take it from a benevolent point of view. If I'm saying to you that you got a stanky attitude, take it from a benevolent point of view. Because I want you to be better. I don't want you to always have a stanky attitude. So I'm trying to help you. Now listen, sometimes their language may be clumsy. Sometimes what people say, the language may be clumsy. But is it, is it the truth though? And sometimes what we do is we get more intertwined in how they said it than what they said. Now, now we tell our kids all the time, tone is everything. And, and tone is so important. But the fact of the matter is if you're going to live an undefendable life, everybody ain't always going to say something in the tone you like. But it doesn't mean what they're saying is not true. We used to laugh all the time because years ago, I would get up and I would correct the church. And everybody's feelings would be hurt. Pastor Sean would get up and she would correct the church. And they're like, yes, whoop us more. <laughs> I used to be like, what in the world? I say one thing that hurt their feelings. She say 12. And they're like, yeah, we want more. <laughs> Listen, it's because people assume, watch this, that mothers fuss. People make the natural assumption that mothers fuss. So when she was fussing, they received it as love. But a lot of people haven't had a dad in their life who's, who's corrected them. So when correction comes from a father, correction feels like rejection. So for years, I would want to say something, and I'd say, Pastor you need to tell them. <laughs> and she'd come up to that podium, and she'd say, now you listen here. And everybody'd be like, yes, Pastor Sean, yes, yes, Pastor Sean. 
I'm saying you have to get to the place that when people are speaking to you, you assume a benevolent motive. You have to assume that what people are saying to you, they're not saying because they're trying to harm you. And if you learn to do that, then you start to see things differently. Listen, unless proven otherwise, assume the person in question has noble intent. I mean, yes, the language may be clumsy and it may even be ill-advised, but assume they had good intentions unless you know for a fact via their history that they don't. You got to give, you got to give people a chance. You got to give people a chance. Number four. You got to practice detachment. I want you to hear me when I talk about this. Number four, you got to practice detachment. You have to learn to practice detachment. Many people are so easily offended. Watch this, because they cannot emotionally differentiate between their thoughts and their inner sense of self. If you have an idea and somebody doesn't like your idea, that doesn't mean they don't like you. But so many people cannot detach themselves from their ideas. So if you suggest a song and somebody says, oh, I don't think we should sing that. Now they don't like you. I tell people all the time you, to deal with me, you have to learn personal detachment because I'm just going to be honest. I had somebody tell me the other day, I said, I told somebody, I don't, I don't eat greens and cornbread. I just don't. I don't like it. I never have. I don't like it. I know everybody go, oh, my God, I don't like greens and cornbread. I don't like any kind of leafy vegetable that's hot. Don't cook my cabbage. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to cook no, none of that. And somebody said to me, they said, well, the problem is you ain't had mine. <laughs> they don't know me. They don't know me. I said, no, the problem is that if yours tastes like cabbage, it's still nasty. And then they got offended. I was like, well, well, you haven't had my, I can't believe you can say that. You, you don't know my taste buds. I can't believe you will say that I, can, that, I, that I would like yours. <laughs> you have to learn to personally detach. I learned this because I used to do this crazy thing with my wife, and, and I, she actually taught me not to do it, but I still think people need to learn how to work through it. I do. I do. Because everybody ain't going to do the same thing. So I used to have this saying when people said something, and most of the time I felt like it was true. I would say, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> because it was like, I was just, you know, I was like, that's dumb. That's a, not, not you're dumb. That's dumb. Now, for me, because I always have lived in personal attachment, I'm not attached to my ideas. I don't care if you don't like my ideas. My ideas aren't me. They're just, they're just something that come out of me. It's not who I am. But some people, if you say that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, they assume that you have called them stupid. They assume that you are talking about them as a person. I am saying to you that that is fine, that we teach people not to do that, but I'm telling you as an individual, you got to learn that if somebody doesn't like your idea, somebody doesn't like what you're doing, it's not a personal reflection of you. It's just not. It's just not. If you, if, 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 if you, you cook for somebody and they eat and they go, oh. That's not a reflection of you. They just didn't like what they were tasting. And then people get mad and go, well, I ain't never cooking anything for you anymore. So now you have moved from beyond I didn't like your little cabbage to now you ain't never going to cook for me again. That sounds like offense. 
So people have to learn not to, not to, not to be in that situation. You got to learn to detach. When identities are too closely tied to one's opinions and those opinions are then disagreed with, many people feel like they themselves have been rejected. Everybody's not rejecting you guys. Everybody's not. They just didn't like your idea. They didn't like your concept. You know, I, 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 enjoy, I have enjoyed <laughs> the process of working through, working through the renewal of our app. And if you haven't downloaded the app, you need to do that. Uh, we sent out a push notification yesterday. If you didn't get it, then your notifications aren't on. And you should turn your notifications on and you should download the app. But I've appreciated working with Becky through the process. Why? Because she sent me things and I didn't like them. And I told her. And she didn't get bent on shape like, well, I'm not going to work with you anymore. <laughs> she was just like, well, I like this one because of this. I was like, I don't like that one because of that. And she said, okay, well, let's try another one. And we just found them until we found the ones that worked. Everything is not a personal attack against you. Stop being so sensitive. You got to grow up. If we're going to, listen, you can't be in the army of the Lord and you're acting like you in the Boy Scouts. You got to be ready for battle. We ain't out here just playing building fires. It's time to go to war. Take a neighbor say, it's time to grow up. Number five, here's something you can do to make sure you don't end up in offense. Number five, learn humility. Learn humility. I was listening to Andrew Womack, and some of you know Pastor Womack. I was listening to him, and he said that one of the things that he does often, because he preaches all over the world, he says if someone writes a letter to him, which I thought this was pretty cool, he says if someone writes a letter to him and his staff sees it as a letter that they are truly offended by something that he taught or he misunderstood, he said he sits down and he writes them a letter. He says the first thing he does, he apologizes. He says, I am sorry. My intent was not to offend you. He says he puts a period there and he goes to the next paragraph and then explains. No, but he just says, I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you because, you know, if you didn't mean to offend somebody, it ought to be easy to say you're sorry. The hardest thing for me is if I have to say I'm sorry and I meant it. For real, because it's, it's like, oh, you know, all right, I'm sorry, then, but you're not really sorry. He says he learned. He said he did it because it teaches him humility. It teaches him that even though he thinks he's a great communicator, there's always opportunity for someone to take offense to what he said. Yeah. He said, and what it does, it makes him, it reminds him that he has to slow down and think somebody didn't hear that the way you said it. And if they didn't hear it the way you intended, then it's on the communicator's responsibility. So many people would be better off if they learned to do that. Instead, what people go, well, you just wasn't listening. Or you don't understand. You just don't get it. If you're the communicator, it is your responsibility to make sure they get it. That's why when teachers say to me, well, I covered it. They just didn't get it. I said, your job ain't to cover. Your job is to teach. If your job is to teach, I haven't taught until you can communicate to me that you've learned. And so it's important. That's why, that's why I did my heart good last week when y'all was putting all that stuff in the group about what y'all learned. I was like, whoa. They was listening. They learned something. We can move on now. You got to learn humility. Learning humility will help you find inner peace. Because when you know you didn't wrong anybody on purpose, there's not that thing nagging at you. But if you hurt somebody's feelings and you know 
that you hurt their feelings and you didn't mean to, but you don't say something, it just keeps talking to you. It just keeps talking to you. Unless you're just a vile person and then maybe it doesn't. But if you, if you, if you got a heart of God and, and you know somebody got offended by something you did and, and you didn't mean to, the easiest thing to do is to say, hey, I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you. That was not my intent. And then simply explain what you really did mean. Amen? Number six, love truth more than being right. Love truth more than being right. Some people, being right is the most important thing in the world. If being right is the most important thing in the world to you, you will always find yourself offended. You have to love truth more than being right. You, si you have to simply want to know what the truth is. I told somebody the other day, I said, if an alcoholic comes in this church and he's totally drunk and he walks up here and he says, Pastor, drinking is wrong. All we should say is amen. Most people go, well, who is the drunk man to tell us not to drink? Because you're more concerned about who said it rather than it being true. Mm-hmm. Say la. Most people are more concerned about who said what rather than the truth. But when you become concerned with just the truth and truth appears, offense goes away because you, more, you care more about truth than about being right. That's the reason you can have somebody say something to you and you receive it and another person say the exact same thing, you don't receive it. It ain't because it wasn't true. It's because of who said it. It's because of who said it. Well, I let so-and-so speak into my life, but so-and-so ain't going to say nothing to me. You got to learn to love truth more than being right. Number seven, you got to overcome self-centeredness. We talked about this last week. Stop centering yourself. You are not the center of the universe. Everything is not about you. Every word out of every person's mouth, every action, every inaction, everything is done or undone, all the motives and intentions. If you're not careful, somehow they become about you. Sometimes the people you live closest with, when they do things, I promise you this is not what they do. They don't go, mm, I wonder if I do this, how this is going to hurt Taylor. Yeah, I think I'll do that. <laughs> Most people don't put that much time and thought into what they're doing. So if they do something that injures you, most of the time they never even took thought about it. We said last week that most people don't even know that you're offended with them. I mean, even if they do know, a lot of them don't care. So the fact of the matter is people, you got to stop thinking, I know, they just, I know they did that just to get at me. No, they didn't. I'm sorry, baby. They weren't even thinking about you. They just did it because that's what they do. And so you have to stop being so self-centered. If you're self-centered, you're going to find yourself always being offended. you got to move away, watch this, from the center of everyone else's life. You have to move yourself away from the center of everyone else's life. When something happens, don't assume it's about you. Assume that whatever they did, they had a reason for doing it. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but they had a reason for it. And then until you find out what it was, don't become offended. Amen. Number eight, you need to learn to reserve judgment. Yeah. We are so quick to judge. I can start to tell you something right now. Before I finish, you will already have formulated what I'm going to say at the end. It happens all the time. Your brain just works that way. Watch this. I'm going to tell you this story about this guy who came into the building. When he got into the building, 
Now, some of y'all right there started thinking, what did he do when he got in the building? And you formulated what he did when he got in the building. You did. The human mind works that way. It's why when you're listening to people, most people don't actively listen. So when someone is talking to you and they say something to you and then they say, now, what did I say? And you say back to them what they said. It ain't nothing close to what they just got through saying. Why? Because you was already formulating what they was going to say. And so you got to learn how to push the pause button and reserve judgment on people. Most of the time when someone tells you a story, you know how many parts of the story you've heard? You know how many parts of a story there is? Their side, the other side, and the truth. So you got to reserve judgment. I know people who have gotten offended at other people because of what somebody told them about the other person, but what they told them about the other person wasn't even true. It wasn't even true. But because you didn't assume a benevolent motive, it became easy to believe something bad about somebody. And do you know most people believe bad stuff over good stuff? Mm-hmm. That's why bad news spread. Let, let, let somebody pass away. It is the most, they, they spread people's death quicker than anything. Now, now put something on Facebook about somebody being healed. Eh, 20 likes, two shares. But put on there somebody got hit by a car and it was annihilated in front of the building today. It'd be thousands of people sharing it. Why? People love bad news. So we have to be a people who says, you know what, I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm going to hear what Chris has to say, but I'm going to hear what San Teresa has to say too before I judge the whole thing. Because if I don't, I'm going to find myself in offense at somebody. Amen? And then number nine, you need to accept imperfections. You need to accept imperfections. Why? Because you're imperfect. You cannot put an expectation on somebody that they haven't agreed to. No, I need you to hear that. You cannot expect me to do something I have not verbalized to you that I would do. And so many people get so mad because they say things like this. Well, when they needed me, I was there for them. But did they ever tell you they was going to be there for you? Did they ever make, did they ever say that? And so if you were there for them, were you there for them because God told you to? Or were you there for them hoping that when you needed somebody, they would be? Because there are times I believe that I have wanted to help somebody and the Lord told me not to do it. Now, I just can't disobey God. If God says, no, don't do it, then I figure God's got another plan. But I'm sure those people was expecting me to come through for them. And if their expectation was on me, not on God, then they got offended. And that's what's wrong with the church. We put our expectation on people. How many times has somebody helped you move? Or you help somebody move. And typically when people ask you to move, they always move to the third floor. <laughs> On one of them stairs to do like this. And they got a seven-foot couch. And you're trying to move it up three flights of stairs. But then when you needed somebody to help you move, they weren't available. Ooh, don't that make you feel come kind of way? Ooh, offense is strong. Why? Because you had an expectation that they was going to do something that they never said they were going to do. They never said they were going to help you move. They asked you to help them. That is the reason I don't have an expectation of you serving till you say you're going to serve. I keep asking you to serve. But once you say, Pastor, I'll do this. Now I have an expectation of you. Why? Because you've agreed. We have a meeting of the minds. 
The problem is, is that many people are expecting somebody to do something for them that they never agreed to. And the reality of it is, is people do that because people are imperfect. You are imperfect. I know that you don't think you are, but you have done some things that people didn't like. And as a result, you need to give a little grace, a little mercy to other people when they do things you don't like. When they do things that come up short, you need to give them the same grace and the same mercy that they gave you. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself living in a state of perpetual offense. Why is offense bad? It robs you from living in God's fullness. You, can, you, can, you cannot worship with people you say you love while you offended at them. Can I just tell you how the human mind works? If you offended when Chris is singing, you're like, you need to sit down somewhere. That's what your mind says. If you offended with me, you're like, he need to hurry up. It's hot in here. If you're offended with the parking lot people, they like, come in this way. You're like, I'm parking where I want to. Then you're mad when you go out there and your car is towed. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but offense will get your car towed. <laughs> so you got to get to the place where you go, you know what? I'm just not going to live an offended life. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to work with people. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to learn to hit the pause button. I'm going to think the right things. I'm going to do the right things so I can live the God kind of life. Amen. Listen, you may not have to employ all nine of those things this week, but I guarantee they'll be great for your toolbox. Put them in your toolbox. You'll need some of them this week. Why? The enemy is going to come and try to steal away your word. Amen? And so you just got to make sure you're prepared. Amen? Amen? Give the Lord some praise this morning. We're done.